Hello, basketball fans, and welcome to the Dave and Dia podcast. Starting at center from Portland, the wily veteran, Dave Deckard. And at guard from Los Angeles, the patron saint of rainbows and unicorns, your podcast MVP, Dia Miller. Welcome back to Dave and Dia, a Blazer's Edge podcast. I'm Dia Miller. I'm here with Dave Deckard. This is episode 30 of our podcast. I can't believe it's been 30 episodes. We are coming to you after game six, which we'll talk about maybe a little begrudgingly. Dave, how are you? I'm doing okay. I wish there had been a game seven. I, I wish that, you know, the Blazers were still playing. I think that could have been exciting series versus Phoenix. It just wasn't meant to be. The Blazers didn't play horribly, but they never got enough people going uh, to to manage Denver. And they never stopped Jokic, of course. The big turning point in Game 6, the emotional one anyway, was Nurk picking up his fourth foul after Terry Stotts left him in. And it seemed like there was some mutual frustration there. Terry's like, what the heck are you doing getting that third foul on that closeout, let alone the fourth, and the refs suck, but you know this, and blah, blah. And then Nurk might have been frustrated about coming out or might have wanted Terry to challenge, and Terry didn't. I don't know exactly what went on there. That said, everything fell apart. Blazers were up by 14 and ended up giving back the game. Couldn't play defense without Nurkic. And uh, they gave back the 14-point lead. And once Denver got the bit in their teeth, they were just off to the races. So, hey, what can you do? I think Portland gave it a good try. But, you know, it just wasn't there. Yeah, you know, there's probably a lot to break down about that game. But the fact of the matter is, does anyone really want to at this point? Probably not. That's that for the season. Uh, that may be that for this team as it, well, it, it was because Stotts got fired, which we'll talk about as well. But I think it's one of those things where it's nice to just kind of be able to say, oh, well, we lost and move on. <laughs> It's going to be an interesting off season. I'll say that it is going to be I'm already it's only been a few days and I feel like I've had to step away from Twitter a few times. I'm a little bit stressed. There's been a lot of emotion in the initial few days after the Blazers went out of the playoffs. Yeah, well, I mean, it was a topsy-turvy way to lose, right? Because, I mean, if Mm -hmm. you rewind back to episode one of our podcast 30 weeks ago, we Uh were saying this is the year where they sink or swim. You know, well, you were saying this is the year when they win it all. And I was saying, yeah, maybe. (laughs) I'm always saying that. I hope so. (laughs) You know, I was saying, well, one way or another, we're going to find out, but there are no more excuses, right? There just aren't. And so I think everybody felt that as the the walls closed in on the garbage compactor of game six and the series, like there was no miracle that we could stick up there to stop that from happening. Uh, There was no Han Solo coming out of the the blue to guide our X-Wing down the channel and allow us to shoot the torpedo in the garbage chute and, and win this and blow up the nuggets somehow. Just didn't work. I mean... Darth Jokic <laughs> took took out the Blazers and that sense of frustration, <laughs> that sense of not being able to do anything about it and the sense of, well, you look back in the grand scope of things and it meant everything to this team. That's that's a hard mix to deal with. And I, I don't, you know, I don't blame people from being a little bit conflicted. 
Yeah, it, it was heartbreaking. It was really heartbreaking because it seemed like everybody was with us on this. It seemed like even non-Blazer fans, other than Nuggets fans, obviously, were kind of expecting the Blazers to pull this off. And and it was it was a heartbreaking loss to not only not win, but to go out in game six. You know, I really, really, really thought we had this. I mean, we, we all know this. It's very publicly recorded that I thought that. But I think even more heartbreaking than that game six exit is what has happened since do you want to say any more yeah let's get real for a second though okay okay to to calm some of this the blazers almost certainly weren't getting out of the second round and even if they did get out of the second round they're going to lose in the finals i mean or conference finals rather I, i don't think this team was anywhere near a finals team i think the crack showed against an injured nuggets team that's not to disparage them i think they played well i loved watching them but let's let's not pretend like Boy, there would have been a championship had that not happened. I mean, as soon as the Clippers or Jazz came along, this was going to be done. There's a little salt in the wounds, but we can vacuum up most of that and rinse it down, put a little hydrogen peroxide in there. There's Even if the team is breaking up, they're not breaking up a NBA Finals caliber team. I mean, I don't know if I want to comment on this. <laughs> I mean, no, really. I mean, look at what... Yeah, I know. I know. But there's always... And then this is where it gets me. There's always a chance. Of course. And that's where gets me that's where that's where i just can't ever come out and say well they weren't going to make it past this they weren't gonna i can't i can't do it there was always a chance and they could have done it but they didn't that's well, the bottom line yeah, they did i mean it. you wanted a chance I, of course you want the chance i i believe that too much better to go to the second round and the conference finals than not i wouldn't i would absolutely go i would say they should go give it their all but at the beginning of the season, the Timberwolves had a chance, too. I mean, and the Blazers had more of that kind of chance of getting to the finals than, say, the Jazz do. Uh, so, me, yeah, Dave. even though there was a chance, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to mitigate the mourning a little bit and the sense that change is, is, is tragic. Even the Blazers at this point are looking at each other and saying, you know what, this probably needs to change. Well, and and there's change. There's there's change happening. You know, at the beginning of this, at this of the at the beginning of the season, we discussed on the podcast a few things. One of those things being, like you said, this is make or break. And at the end of the season, if they don't advance at least past the first round, Stotts is probably gone. We've commented on that a few times, and here we are. Stotts has been fired. Olshay is still Olshay of the Blazers. <laughs> I've been saying for a while that I think that's the change that needs to happen. But I also said, I think a couple weeks ago that it wouldn't surprise me if Stotts goes and Olshay doesn't make a lot more changes, but it gives him another, it buys him another year. It buys him another year to say he solved the problem by firing the coach. You know, if he doesn't make any kind of changes outside of that, it's not going to solve the problem because really there's not a lot better out there to coach the team as is than Stotts. If you're not going to change up the players as well, there's not a, a whole lot of a reason to fire him, in my opinion. If you're going to go in and, and sweep and clean things up and change things up and whatever and just redo the team, then that's one thing. Fire the coach, whatever, start over. But that's not his intention. I, I really think he's going to keep this team primarily as is and call the the move of firing Stotts the solution. Yeah, I'm of two minds on that. I think he's going to try to make moves. I really think CJ, if CJ can be moved in a reasonable trade, I think that'll happen. I, I honestly do, even with Neil. That said, that does not discount your point that this team has been buying years for the last six years. 
I mean, we yep. chronicled this on site about the Blazers' moves since 2015. In 2015, they had a legitimate shock to their system. Uh, LaMarcus Aldrich left, and they very quickly, in order, you know, Nicola Batum and Wesley Matthew, uh, gone, gone, gone. I mean, it was just the whole team recycled. And that, look, that was a changeover that... A, was necessary, but B, you understand, okay, that, that there's not going to be continuity. You're going to have to scramble. You're going to have to rebuild something. So you got all the time in the world and all the permission in the world. Nobody was saying you got to win 50 games or even 40 after that. That said, since they had their skippy-dippy season and made the playoffs after that and got to the second round and bragged about it, like, ah, see, we made it. You guys suck who predicted that we wouldn't do it. Okay, Ever since then, they've just been in the process of buying time on that kind of hubris or that kind of, I don't know what you call it, sales job. And we, we bought a little time with, you know, cheap forwards, and then we recycled those forwards, and we, we bought more time with, you know, Nurkic, obviously, uh, and that was legitimate, but still messing around with the bench. What is Carmelo Anthony except buying some more time and some more interest. Look, it's a shiny mellow. And now we all go, oh, that's cool. And and, and mellow was shiny. shiny mellow, personally. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was fun. He played well. I liked seeing him on the team. But if you're really talking about progress towards the finals, that move in the absence of other moves forward is just kind of, that, that's, that's the sparkly glove that you're looking at. Don't look over in the corner. Don't look under the rug for sure. Look at this. You're accurate that they've been buying time. And I think the time is up. And it's going to be interesting. I think a lot of people are going to be very frustrated if, as you say, the coaching change is just another way to do sleight of hand and buying time because there is no more time. Uh, Dame's prime is almost over now. I mean, it's, it's, yep. he's got one year, two years. Everybody knows what the score is. Nobody expects it to change much. There's no more time to be bought. Yeah. And, and the frustration was very palpable after this game. You know, the, the, the players were frustrated. The fans were frustrated. You know, Nurk made some comments immediately after about how this wasn't the right situation for him. And if it wasn't the right situation, he wouldn't come back, which is interesting. That's an interesting thing to do immediately following an exit from the playoffs from a player, you know, to, to be that outspoken about something like that. And from Nurk, that's interesting. What do you think of that? Well, I mean, why did he do it? And, and there are about a hundred reasons, right? First of all, that he's, as I've said several times, he's the defensive stopper. He's the one who makes it all go, right? And he's covering for everybody and no one's giving him shots. Uh, he and CJ looked like they were going back and forth a little bit in that game six, right? Uh, Stotts uh, is either pulling him or he's frustrating Stotts with his fouls. There's friction there. Uh, and he's not been a hub of the offense ever, except for the Nurk fever days when he first came, right? So he's doing all the dirty work and getting none of the reward, and that's not Nurkic. Plus, right. uh, underneath it all, he's not making $30 million a year like the top two guys yeah. on this team are. He signed a contract between 12 and 15, and next year that's it's not even point. guaranteed to add insult to injury. He doesn't get to choose. The, the team's going to pay him pennies compared to what he thinks he's worth, and they're going to you know, walk away with it. And he's at their mercy. They could, they could very easily say, no, no, we're going to pay you this. It's a reasonable contract, and then bye-bye next year. And there's yeah. nothing he can do about it. 
all those things, I think, kind of boiled over. The coaching change will probably help, but I don't think that was it alone. I bet that there are money issues, there are role issues, and there's teammate issues all rolled up into one with Nurkic there. Yeah, it just feels like it's kind of crumbling. And I think that's been the feeling as as you if you watch the reactions of fans right now, um, it's just a hodgepodge of mess. Um, everybody's got an opinion. Everybody suddenly thinks that they can be the GM or the coach. Everybody is just all, this is the time of year I hate normally. I hate this time of year normally where all the things, well, let's trade this person for this person and let's do this and let's do that. That, that normally that stresses me out. But right now, especially where they've now, you know, gone out earlier than expected, they've fired the coach. Nurks made comments. Olshay just did a press conference that was a train wreck. Wait, let's get Dame first. Dame? Dame. Oh, oh my gosh. Yeah, we're, we're, we're whistling past a graveyard on that one, right? Because we don't want to hear it. Uh, <sighs> but before we get to Olshay, Dame was frustrated. This is... Yeah. He's, his brand is immaculate. He's shiny yeah. toothbrush, toothpaste dude. Like, ding! Everything Dame does is polished gold. And he was... He was, there was a little bit of raw dame in there and it was salty. Yeah. And, and, and truly he kind of has in a way the right to be a little salty. I think at this point, you know, the, the man is a superstar. He's one of the best players in the league and he's in a small market and he's in a small market that he's stayed loyal to and chosen to be in, in a lot of ways. And yet he continually is having to carry the team and that, that there has to be a sense in which that gets frustrating, especially when you have all, I mean, you know, he reads things and sees things that are out there. So, you know, he has fans from all over the place trying to get him to go to the Lakers or the Knicks or some big market team that is going to want him. I feel bad for these guys sometimes when I think about all the things that are being constantly yelled in their direction. But I feel like for Dame, who is exactly what you said, he is the epitome of a good well-tuned machine of a superstar he is cautious in what he says he makes good moves he does good things he he is a good person and i think a nice person for the most part even when people come at him and he comes back he does it in a way that isn't you know it's it's not distasteful and i think that he's always been that way and so there's a sense in which after spending years of your life and the prime of your career in the situations he's been in and seeing moves not be made over and over and over again, if really truly what Dame wants is to be loyal to Portland and to try to bring a ring to this small market team, then he's going to have to get a little bit loud and he's going to have to get a little bit salty because he's going to have to kind of push to see change made if if they're not doing it. He has a little bit of pull here that he can use. Yeah, well, first of all, he's it's worse than seeing moves not be made. He's seen moves be made. There are quite a few moves be, been made, but none of them work. I mean, right. the Blazers have had like four small forwards in the last two years. To me, when I'm saying moves, I'm thinking big blockbuster moves. Right. We haven't seen anything like that. But, okay, here's the thing, and this is going to lead into my second point. Those have been termed as the moves 
for for the way the Blazers publicized them and whatever, you would have thought, okay, this was the big superstar move. This is all that's needed. We got it all for a convenient. We got Mo Harkless. Look how cheap we got him. Now we're set. Oh, now look, we got you know Trevor Ariza or Kent Bazemore. Now we're set. Oh, we got Carmelo Anthony. Now we're set. We got Robert Covington, Derek Jones Jr. Can't do better than that. Now we're set. Okay, these have these have all been termed as the move, and all of them look basically the same, and none of them are the move. I mean, in the rearview mirror. So look, here's why that matters. Because up to this point, Dame has been doing the selling. He's been part of that. Oh, yeah, you know, this is, this is our team. This is the move. We're going to get better. This is going to happen. I think Dame just woke up in a way and figured out that he's the one being sold too. And that's, that's a tough line to step over. That Oh, wait yeah. a minute. Not only was everything I said turned out to be not really true, but... The reason that I said it was because I've been sold this and I was selling it to others and it's it's not the product I thought it was. Yeah. That's a tough emotional switch there. And and then you have also the third point, which is that game five, which Dame already could have gone anywhere. He had a ticket to anywhere he wanted, right? But that fifty-five point game that they lost that everybody in the universe noticed made that ticket first class. And basically, he has a tour book, you know, he, anywhere he wants now. Yeah. He is more than welcome. He is, I mean, he is with Steph Curry. He is near LeBron James, Kevin Durant. Right now, he has that kind of power exactly. And that is, that's kind of tough when all those things come together. The frustration, the crossing, the selling line, the ticket to go anywhere you want. Oh, boy. I mean, and I don't think it's an accident that right after that, you know, someone asked Dame what he wanted for a coach and Dame said it. <laughs> you know, this yeah. is not a this is this is not a real Dame thing to do. OK, he's right. mentioned names before uh, Donovan Mitchell and whatever occasionally, but not often. Yeah. And all of a sudden he's saying, bam, I want that. I don't think that was an accident. Too bad it didn't turn out well for him. But I, I think this is the new Dame. I think this is a new thing. Yeah. And if the Blazers can't get it together and get alignment with him. I don't see that he stays. I, I just don't see it. I don't see him leaving this year. I think this year he'll stay and then we'll see where it goes from there. I, I would be completely shocked if he were not to be um, putting on a Portland jersey next season. I think he will. That being said, I, I definitely think if <laughs> there's only so far you can push him. Olshay's <laughs> press conference. What did you have on that? I haven't watched the whole thing yet. This just happened like very briefly. And I am knee deep in packing to go to Puerto Rico tomorrow. Uh, my full-time job is uh, I'm a photographer and I am um, currently a sports photographer often. And I am going to Puerto Rico to be a part of the FIBA, which is international, the international basketball association. Um, I'm going to be in the FIBA bubble shooting basketball for the next two weeks. I leave tomorrow morning, so I'm up to my ears in packing. So I have not watched it. Um, that being said, I picked up the highlights from Twitter, from you know our Blazers Edge Slack, everybody talking about it. It sounds to me like Neil pretty much came out and just threw everyone under the bus and was driving the bus with them trailing along behind him. Uh, it, it it sounded like it was a little bit painful. You know, he basically blamed Stotts. It sounds like, which obviously he he's gone. So that's an easy thing to blame. Um, he said he hadn't heard what Nurk said, um, in the, in the comments after the game where he said it wasn't the right situation, but then when 
then later in the press conference went on to correct someone about what Nurk said. So he obviously, whether he heard it or not, he knew what was said. Uh, it just sound, sounded a little bit like a train wreck. And for a um, fan base that does not often agree on much, it seems like the dislike for Neil Olshay currently has bonded together Rip City fans across the internet. <laughs> um, it was It was a little bit of a mess, it feels like. Yeah, I think part of that might be the Blazers' edge lens because a lot of our fans tend to be more critical and uh, evaluative than, you know, than just whatever the organization says is right. I think there's yeah. still a fair amount of people who would and do support what Neil said, and and I, I think Olshay had some points. Obviously, that the team needs to get better defensively. Um, obviously, that this isn't a real easy fix you know that there's going to be some complexity to it but that there's not a real option to abandon this core at this point and keep going you can't rebuild around Lillard and wipe everything else out the guy's 31 you know he's you're not going to draft your way out of this at this point you're not you're not going to sign free agents you first of all you can't you don't have the cap space but even if you did you can't get enough to reboot the team like the sense i got to it was uh, from it was that moves are not impossible and some are going to be tried but uh th- The Blazers that you see are the Blazers you're going to get with whatever changes are possible or practical. I think that, again, that means CJ is going to be looked at very hard. It may mean that Nurkic is also looked at very hard. But didn't he also made a comment that 80% of the starters would be back next year, right? Um, I'm pretty sure that there was a comment. I think Danny quoted him that said that that 80%, let me find it, 80% of the starters would be back, which would mean, which would mean. I mean, we already no, know DJJ he, is gone. Yeah, no, it would mean probably Norm because you've got Dame, you've sure. got CJ, you've got Nurk, you've got Robert Covington all still under contract, and Norm is not. Yeah, so I my doubt, guess would be that. I doubt he was being that specific. Um, that I, I doubt he had somebody in mind he wasn't saying. Maybe he did. Okay. But I'm, I'm thinking what he meant by that is most of the starters are going to be back. Like we might trade somebody. But okay. we're not going to trade everybody. Uh, and, and by right. the way, Lillard and Covington need to come back. Nurkic probably, you know, can you get value for him? Can you replace his skill set? So you got that. And then it's a choice either Norm or CJ, which is what we've been talking about, right? Because you're not right, going to keep right. both. I don't think Norm will sign. Right. I don't think Norman Powell will sign if, if CJ is still staying. So I, there's your 80% right there. And by the way, he didn't mention the bench. I mean, I don't think you can have Carmelo back. I think this is just a show if you have Carmelo back. Now, again, not that I hate him. I think he was great. He's just too many holes there. And Ennis Cantor and Carmelo Anthony and Anthony Simons, toxic, just toxic. Situation. Yeah, they shouldn't. That's that's not a lineup that should be happening. Yeah, that they have to score a billion, right? That said, the the guy he really threw under the bus, which gives credence to what you just said, Dia, that, okay, the coaching was the problem, and that's it, and that's the big change, uh, was, was Stott. And he said yeah. flat out, the lack of defense was a coaching coaching issue, not a roster issue. To which but I... But Stott's also... Go ahead. Sorry. No, do it. Stott's also, Stott's also coached a team a few years back that was like sixth in defense, right? Yeah. So it, this is not this is not purely a coaching issue, and I I one of my biggest pet peeves is in sports where they try to put everything on a player or a coach or a anything because nothing about this is a single person 
anything. Everything is team. Everything is, is not even a single coach. We have a team of coaches. We have, there's so many people that are responsible for things. There's, there are players that are responsible. There are so many things that go into that, that you cannot ever in life convince me that making one change, like firing the coach is going to be this huge, massive overhaul. It's just not. And, and so blaming the defense on the, a head coach that previously coached a team that was like number six defense in the NBA is a terrible cop-out. Yeah, I mean, I think so. Uh, Tom Thibodeau might argue, I mean, people who watch the Knicks this year, I mean, a coach can make a difference. But yes. Terry Stotts did not coach C.J. McCollum to not get around screens. No coach right. coaches somebody that way. And by the way, Terry Stotts would have been insane to limit C.J.'s minutes and would not have had the freedom to bench him there would have been a mutiny, including from Neil, because CJ's ke- or Neil's kept CJ around forever. There are certain things that you can and can't do, and just benching CJ, not an option at that point, even if Terry would have done that, which I don't think he would have. Uh, Terry Stott did not acquire Hassan Whiteside so that Whiteside could take three subway routes and a stroll through the park before he got out to the three-point arc to cover and then never came back, okay? That's... that's just that's yeah. not coaching okay well uh, all for a Camino and Mo Harkless actually defended pretty well when they were with uh, Yusuf Nurkic uh, what Neil could have done actually is said you know what injuries and particularly injuries to Nurkic were the cause of it but the problem with that are two number one you've played that injury card before okay then people would have said yeah Neil you say that every dang year okay so he didn't have an out there and number two I'm not sure how fond of Nurkic he is right now <laughs> honestly. So yeah. you can't like point to the guy as being your salvation if you're going to look at trading him or you're not real happy with him. And I could see where the Blazers would not be real happy with Nurk anymore than Nurk is real happy with the Blazers right now after this yeah. season. Even though I thought he looked great uh, as the season closed. I thought he did fine. Everything asked pretty much except for, you know, not commit stupid fouls. But there were a lot of reasons I think he couldn't have said that thing and that's the problem with Neil is I think like it's playing cards. It's playing poker. Like you, you you're it's misdirection. It's if you did this this last time you don't do it this time. Yeah. It's never just laying your cards on the yeah. table. Yeah, it felt a lot like he was kind of trying to save his own skin. Hey, I saw somebody say, well, what did you expect him to do? Get up there and say, yeah, this is my fault. You should fire me. No, of course not. Like, the, it's just, it's a shame when, especially in light of the fact that Stotts has already been let go. They've already part. I keep not saying fired because they said that they parted ways mutually. I'm going to allow I know, Terry's going to say that, of course, but I mean, come on. No, that was the official line. I, I know, I know. So, I know. I'm not saying you. I'm saying them. I mean, that was one I of know. The like, but I, yeah. I, I think that's a sign of respect that they, instead of saying, well, we fired him, that they allowed that. So I'm just going to hold on to that. Maybe um, it's like- also a cop-out because you know what? A lot of people think Terry Stotts is a good coach. And if you fired him, that might be on you. That might be your problem. And they're not going to say that either. So yeah, they're going- Yeah, but I think you're anyways. right. I think I think most people watching that or looking at that are probably thinking, oh, come on. I think in light of the fact that Stotts had already parted ways with the team, for Olshay to get up there and just- 
continually throw him under the bus. It just seems shady to me, honestly. I feel like, you know, yeah, you can say, obviously, you felt like the coach wasn't the right choice because you just fired him or let him get parted ways. You just parted ways. So he's gone. So obviously that wasn't. But so then why do you focus on that? Why do you put everything on that? The only thing I can think is exactly what I said, that Olshay is trying to avoid fingers being pointed at him. And I think it's I think that that's too bad because I think in situations like this where it was obviously a disappointing exit, if you really want to do better and if you really want to do your job well as the general manager, then it's time to take an introspective look here and see what can we do better? What do we need to do in order to make this work better? Because clearly this isn't working. I don't think that he's really just dumb enough to think that firing the coach is going to fix everything. So to me, this is a hundred percent just him trying to save his own skin. Sure. But Am I, I allowed mean, to say those things? <laughs> this is part of Portland's Yeah, this is Blazer's Edge. You say anything. We we have you because oh, you're we have boy. you because you're Dia and we want your oh, voice. Oh man, that feels but, real mean for me. Okay, but look, this is first of all, this is part of Portland's culture, right? It used to drive me crazy about the broadcasters. You'd say for years while well, a guy was a blazer, well this guy has defensive problems, right? for instance. And the broadcasters and the team would be like, no, no, we're fine, we're fine. And then he leaves or they trade him somewhere else and all of a sudden, yeah, his defense really sucked. He was dragging the team down. They kill people who leave town as on the regular and it used to be worse than it is now. So that doesn't surprise me at all. But second of all, buying time is what this team has been doing for the last four years. I mean, it was patently obvious where this team was when they kept losing to the Warriors and when they lost to the Pelicans. And then you had the the kind of, you know, pacifier of the Western Conference Finals run. But again, we said right after that, look at the bracket. If you don't want this called just a bracket, you know, run, you got to back it up. And they didn't. They didn't grow at all. They regressed. Yeah. And they've been buying time and selling tickets on that promise for forever. So buying time is, again, part of this regime. That's part of this culture. And you know what? The last thing is, and this might be one of two places where I bring up personal experience, and I hate to do this a little bit because I am not an NBA GM. The positions are not analogous. But you know why? Wait, what? You're not? How did I miss that? I'm kind of in charge here. I'm also you're, kind of you're the Blazers Edge GM. <laughs> yes, I'm also kind of the head person in you know the, the other organization I'm a part of, and there mistakes are made. Mistakes are made. Sometimes I make them. A lot of times, other people make them. I've had writers, some in the past, some still on staff, who have made grave errors, grave errors that we were called to account for. Have you ever heard those names called out in that fashion? Have you ever, when those mistakes come up, what do you do as an organization? First of all, you own them. You say, yep, yep, this didn't work the way we wanted, or we did this. And I understand you can't do that explicitly because you can't call out your player. Like, (laughs) Neil Olshay cannot get up there and say, yep, CJ McCollum sucked, right, (laughs) at defense. But, you know, we didn't make the right moves. We thought it was, it wasn't. And the responsibility lies on my shoulders, ultimately. Even if I didn't do it, even if it was complex, I'm sitting here, I'm in this seat, I make the decisions, uh, and uh, therefore the responsibility lies on me. And I will own that. I will not pawn yeah. that off on a, on a subordinate or anybody who's left. When you look at them, look at someone who did the best job they could have done, even if it didn't work out. That's what we demanded. That's what we got. It was just the wrong job or the wrong thing. And that's what you're going to get from me too, but I will own that we haven't done the right thing. I think it's that simple. 
and that's not in the lexicon. That's not in Portland's culture. And that disturbs me because yeah. it, it's patently obvious they've been doing some of the wrong things for quite a while. And what you don't know is whether you can trust them because they will tell you wrong is right. And they will tell you anything wrong that happened wasn't them. Yeah, it's disappointing. Because again, I mean, we've talked before about the fact that this feels like I I like this organization and how they do things for the most part. I would have a heck of a lot more respect for Neil if that's what he did. If he got up there and took responsibility and just said, you know what, we did what we thought was right, didn't work out. We chose to fire or let go or part ways with the coach because we feel like that's the starting point to making some changes that need to be made. That can't be the only thing. We're going to work towards, you know, something else. But this is where we're at. I would have so much more respect for that. Anytime anyone throws anyone under the bus, it's not a good look. It just isn't. It automatically makes me distrust them. And that's how I feel right now. I don't trust him because of how he's throwing people under the bus and how he's, it just feels questionable to me. And and I don't like it. I don't like feeling this way about the Blazers. But you're right. This is This is a culture that I hadn't really realized until you just said this right now. But it's not just with the GM. It's with your. It's with broadcasting. It's with fans. It's with the media so that covers the team. There's a lot of this attitude of, you know, we build them up, we build them up, we build them up, we build them up. Oh, they're not in Portland anymore. Wow, they really sucked. You're right. There's there's that kind of attitude of just kind of the once they're gone, we wipe our hands of them, and that's the end of it. It goes back in the regime, too. I mean, I think Paul Allen, rest his soul, whom I liked a lot. But I think he had some of this too. And I think it came out in spades in Neil. Once upon a time, Steve Jones was the best color commentary guy you could find. But Steve Jones told it like it was. And once certain things happen, the regime changes and what have you, that wasn't welcome anymore. And he was put out to pasture, basically. There were other things. And I do not think, by the way, I think the broadcasters, I don't think it's necessarily their thing i mean i think they did a good job and they were as honest as they could be yeah but yeah no i but you know you know what you can't say you know what you better not say because if you cross the culture or cross the decisions or intimate that this isn't right you're you're going to lose your job and i'm not trying to speak for broadcaster i have no idea you know i'm not this is not eyewitness testimony or anything i've heard i'm just reading the the room here and you look at the entire organization and it's quite evident that there are a ton of good people but that's also been pretty tightly controlled well and i don't have of all people i don't have an issue with not saying negative things about people i personally appreciate that but what what i don't like is that then when they are no longer associated with this team that's when things start coming out. so if you're going to be that if if that's if that's going to be your culture as an organization if you're going to choose to take the high road and say good things i applaud that i like that i can get on board with that but then don't take the low road when they leave the team when they're traded it's business the most of the people who leave portland aren't leaving with a bad taste in their mouth most of the people who leave portland love portland and often even come back 
to Portland, either to play again or to retire or whatever, or just come back fondly. I mean, both Rodney Hood and Hassan Whiteside were in the stands during the playoffs, you know, that they come back. So most of the people who leave Portland don't leave in a bad way. So to me, if you're going to have this culture of speaking well of people while they're in your organization, continue that culture when they leave. When they leave your organization, you don't have to speak well of them anymore, but don't speak badly of them. That's the thing that I have a hard time with. Yeah, and literally, I mean, the line they get to, the defense was not a roster issue. It was a coaching issue. Just literally placing 100% of the blame on the guy yeah. you fired. I, tell me, Dia, it seemed to be up in the air at this year's trading deadline. Do the Blazers go get Norman Powell or do the Blazers have a chance at Aaron Gordon? And it was, it was reported the sticking point was Aaron Gordon was available, but Anthony Simons can't go. Yep. Right? Which would have fixed your defense more? Starting yep. Aaron Gordon at power forward or even small forward with Robert Covington or Norman Powell? Yeah. Uh, who had the better it's, defense? It's, I mean, I, I love Norm and I'm happy to have him on the Blazers and I have no complaints about that. That said, and Ant came in big for us. Anthony Simons came in big for us. So I have no complaints about that either. But that being said, when when you're the one making the call about something like that, that ultimately, ironically, that same player ended up on a team that beat us, you cannot sit there and just throw everything on the coaching. You can't. You need to own the fact that you didn't make that. You know what? He made the decision he felt like was right. He chose to go with Norman Powell and keep Anthony Simons, who, again, both came in in big ways for us. And I don't think you can be mad about that. But I also don't think that at the same time, you can turn around and say, after making that decision and not getting Aaron Gordon, who then ended up on the team that took us out of the playoffs, hey, you know, it was all coaching. It had nothing to do with what I did. Like that, that's just not, it's just, it's just such a, oh, no. What's the, what's the literal cost of, if if you were weighing the balance, you can have um, Powell and Simons or you can have Gordon. And by the way, you might take Powell and Simons. A lot of people would. I think I would too, maybe. But what's the cost? What's the cost of making that decision? Everybody in the universe points at that and says, you're going to get more offense but you give up size and you give up especially, especially, especially defense. <laughs> That's literally right. the cost. Okay. So, so don't turn around and say that defense was only a coaching issue. Okay. It wasn't. CJ McCollum. What's the cost of keeping him next to Damian Lillard all these years? I mean, the scoring duo, it's great. And it's the prototypical and both can shoot threes and CJ's an impresario. I mean, the mid range, got it, got it, got it, got all of that. That's exactly right. What's the cost the cost everybody in the universe points at and everybody says together defense you could literally take third graders my son by the time he was 11 could point out this happening on the screen he saw it he's like they're not defending well and everybody's getting by dame and cj an 11 year old knows this you can't get in front of a microphone and say it's not personnel yeah, it, it wasn't a good look. It wasn't a good look for him. And and even I think some of the people who were kind of either iffy about him or even on board with him, I think he lost some of that with this press conference. I just don't think it was I don't think it was a good call. I think the way that he handled things was just very defensive, ironically. And I mean, at least we got some defense um, and and it just 
<laughs> oh, that is a sick Dia bird. If Dia, okay, you got to understand, that's like anybody else swearing at you for half an hour. If Dia, if Dia gives a snide remark, oh boy, you got impaled oh. by a unicorn horn right there. Man, I just am so frustrated with this. I don't like lack of accountability, and I don't like when people throw other people under the bus. It's, I mean, I, I've, I've spent my life making the opposite decision, you know, taking the blame for things that probably weren't my fault. And I, I just, it's so frustrating to me as someone who does that naturally to watch somebody do the opposite. It's so frustrating. Right. So, well, and, but let's say also, I don't think there was much excuse for it in years past. That was just thinking we're going to be stupid and go, Matt, you're right, Neil. Uh, and, and look, a uh, fan base wants to believe. We have a credulous audience. Every sports team does. You want to believe that whatever your team does is great. That's why everybody hates the referees, right? I, I think there was much less excuse for it in years past than there is now because at least he has this justification. You just fired the coach. Now, this is getting closer to your position. People are falling closer to your position. Excuses are fading away. And you've got an audience of an owner who is a relatively new. Uh, also, you don't know how engaged that owner is uh, or, or how invested or how learned. So you've got to put on a good face for this. You can't give yourself reasons to be fired. Uh, so I, I understand the sales job a little bit. It's just that when the magic trick is now pointing that way and you're kind of at an angle behind the magician and looking at this, you're going like, that's kind of cheap. <laughs> now that I see how the trick is done, that's, yeah. And that's, that's I think that's maybe how Stotts might perceive it at this point. Uh, that might be how Dame is perceiving it at this point. So I think... Boy, Neil better turn it around, or I don't think there are going to be enough words to say uh, that are that they're going to save this or him. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting off season. It's really going to be an interesting off season. You know, we're obviously now looking for a new coach. There's maybe going to be some changes with with roster. I don't know. We'll see. I think you know that's it's going to be an interesting summer, Dave. It's going to be an interesting summer. That's why we have you know twenty more podcasts over the summer right you know well and we should say because i had somebody ask me about this we're planning to continue the podcast that just because the season ended doesn't mean that we're going away how could you we'll, lose we'll dave and dia i mean come on <laughs> we have plenty to say people we have plenty to say we're not going anywhere oh, yeah. which is a good reason we're staying general in this podcast big picture because we'll have all summer to slice and dice individual stuff but i mean right. i think we're in agreement right that this was not terry's fault that uh, no. I, mean, I mean it's look would should he have moved on would is it okay to move on from him i think it's more okay now than it ever has been so i'm not up in arms look it this is not that was bull you know what that was spoken yeah. on his name today and i think T terry stotts is a good coach and he's proven it if he's not the best defensive coach in the universe his offense more than covers it and by the way the blazers have done well with him very very well with him uh to yeah. second second overall in number of wins fourth overall in percentage but two of the people ahead of him were gift wrapped teams i mean look when mike dunleavy came in that team was ready to win and mike Schuler right. only had like one year so, you know, or two. So, and that was as Drexler was ascending. So that percentage is going to be high. Now, Terry right. didn't have the highest playoff percentage, but he was fourth in that too, I believe. And those two coaches were above him in that too. So if you take those two out, there are two names, Jack Ramsey and Terry Stotts. And those yep. really are 
the best coaches that this franchise has seen, at least in terms of wins and winning percentage, over an extended period of time. And there's no argument about it. The Blazers did well with Terry. Well, and, and I'll just say, because this is what I do, I, he was a good human. You know, it's been fun to watch the the tributes from the people who worked with him come in because time and time again, you know, yeah, he was a good coach and people liked him, but he was a good person. He made people feel important. He made them feel heard. He made them feel cared about. You don't hear anyone say a bad word about the guy. And to me, that goes above and beyond m- much else. I, as a fan, just really enjoyed watching him coach. He was somebody that I... It sounds like he died. <laughs> he was reading his eulogy. Um, he, you know, he was he he's a fun coach to watch. And I I really truly look forward to seeing him coach another team. And I have no doubt that he will find another team to coach. Um, and that will be a team that I will enjoy playing against in the future because I will get to see Terry Stott's facial expressions on the sidelines, which I really enjoy. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I mean, no head coach is going to be everything to everyone, but he was a good one. I mean, I think coaches yeah. get too much credit and too much blame, but he Agreed. was he was really really good coach. You saw a good coach, and you saw a good system. In fact, two good systems. This is another recommendation for him, because that Lamarcus Aldridge, Nicola Batum, Wesley Matthews team was far different than the Damian Lillard, C.J. McCollum, Yusuf Nurkic team. Very 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 different, and he did it twice. Okay, that that Aldridge team at its height in 2014 was playing some of the most beautiful basketball on the planet. It was like you resurrected the old Jack Ramsey days with a new modern twist. And it was gorgeous. I'm so sad that it only lasted for a year and a half or so because it, it was incredible. And then you get Dame time. And by the way, look, old school coach. You know, you get Mike Vitello or even younger Nate McMillan coaching this team. And do you think Dame would have flourished as quickly as he did? Did Would no. Dame have ever come out and shot a 35-footer? I don't know. Uh, and, and CJ and a lot of other people owe a lot to Terry Stotts' green light. And by yeah. the way, most of the people who cycled through here, many, many, you remember their names because they played for the Blazers. What has Al-Farouk Aminu been anywhere else? Where was Mo Harkless better? Where was Nicola Batum better? Well, I mean, Terry only got a little bit of time with Nicola Batum, but still, he looked good in Portland and looked good under Terry and Nate, right? Um, obviously, yeah. there's Dame. Obviously, there's CJ. Obviously, there's Yusuf Nurkic. I mean, guys look good here. And if there have been players who haven't succeeded, like, you know, you look, Will Barton looks better in Denver, but he was traded away. I mean, he was traded away for Aaron Aflalo, by the way, who did not stay, okay? So you got to look at why. And usually the why of they didn't succeed here is they didn't spend very long here. Right. So look, there were, and, and it's not everybody, but a lot, a lot of players played their best under Terry Stotts. This is, the, you know, I again, I'm going to go back to, to the Jason Kidd thing because I think it's something that's important to address. I know that it's been settled now as he has removed his name from the running, whatever that actually means. He is no longer being looked at as as the possible future head coach of the Portland Trailblazers. This was an interesting 24 hours for me, personally. I'm just going to talk about my own personal feelings on this, which I don't do a whole lot on this podcast. We, we talk a lot about what's going on and whatever else, but I think for this, this is something I want to speak to personally. Um, 
you know, I, I, as soon as his name got brought up, I started seeing these rumors about, you know, abuse and whatnot. And so I immediately went and started looking into it because I don't like to go just based off of rumors. I think it's important to actually know what's true. I think there's a difference between an accusation and a settlement. I think there's a difference between someone accusing a person of doing something and someone admitting that they have done such a thing. Um, I think you have, I think there's a lot of lines that you have to be cautious with. In this case, we don't have to differentiate with any of that. Um, Jason Kidd settled a lawsuit. Uh, he was actually convicted. That's uh, He was convicted. Yes. Thank you. I'm thinking of the other yep. situation. Um, he was convicted of, of abusing his wife of domestic violence. And that brought up a lot on the internet over the over that 24 hour period there were several different sides of this one big side that i saw was who cares what he did in his past it was long in his past he's a good coach we want him um and there was another side that struggled with this and i was on that side and i say this as someone who was in an abusive marriage i don't talk about this often it's not something that i enjoy bringing up it was a long time ago it is not the children of my father for the record because um, I feel like that needs to be said. But this was something that are the father of my children. I think I said the children of my father. Either you're, way. You're just um, <laughs> I lived in a marriage that um, was very toxic and very abusive for several years. Um, nobody in my life knew what was going on. I hid it. I kept it a secret. Um, I thought it was my fault. I was manipulated and, and lied to. And that's what abusers do. And it takes, by the time someone actually comes out and speaks up, usually a lot has happened. And so the fact that it got to the point that it did where he was convicted of something and she had to, you know, go through that whole process. This, there is not a doubt in my mind at this point that this is what it is. And, and regardless of that, we have to believe it. That being said, as someone who went through something like that, watching this was really difficult for me because it felt to me like the success of a team that I absolutely love that I, um, I mean, a lot of, a lot of my time and my energy and my enjoyment is spent on this team, you know, Blazers edge, the podcast I enjoy, I spend during the basketball season, I spend a lot of time focused on this team. And all of a sudden, I'm looking at this situation and realizing if this is the coach that the Blazers choose, I'm going to have to choose a new team. Because, and that's not me just being bratty that this isn't the coach I want, so I'm going to go pick another team. That's me as a victim saying, I cannot subject myself night after night after night to watching this man who got away with something and continue to have a successful career as an NBA coach. For me, that's something that is, is hard and it, it brings up trauma. And it's something that I just frankly don't enjoy and takes the joy and the excitement and the fun of being a Blazer fan away. And I don't want to lose that. And I think, you know, it's hard for me really to, to put into words how I feel about this. I feel like I'm a little bouncing all over the place here. But I think that it's important to remember that as much as I want to win a championship, as much as I want the Blazers to be good, as much as I want, you know, the players to be happy with who the coach is and, and the coach to be a good fit and all of that, as much as I want that, people who have experienced 
experienced trauma and tragedy in their life are important people. I mean, it's important to it's it's important to acknowledge that. It's important to um, give room for that. I think. And when we as an organization or we as fans even um, put our support behind someone who has inflicted pain on another human being, it, it says to those who have been in that situation, it says to those who have been victims, who have been subjected to that, that you're not as important as winning a championship. How you feel and how you were treated and what this does to you doesn't matter as much as I want my team to win. And this was something that happened a very long time ago. And it's not something that I even really think about often anymore because I'm so far removed from it. But it's exactly, Dave, you wrote a really, really eloquent article about this and about how it touched your family personally. And one of the things that you said that just rang really true to me was how it's like having a crack in the floor and then carpeting over the top of it and how the crack doesn't go away. You just kind of adjust to it. And I think that when someone has gone through, I, I, I don't know if I said that correctly. That's how I read it. Sure. And however so, you read it is is how it should be. And so, so I think anytime there's a situation like this and you're dealing with something that's this sensitive, you have to, that has to matter. It has to matter. And at the point where it doesn't matter enough to keep that person from this position, I'm out. So for me, I, I just think, um, you know, again, this is not something that's going to happen. It's been squelched. He will not be there. Um, but I think it needs to be addressed from the perspective of someone who has who has felt it, who's dealt with it, who had a very emotional, very difficult. I mean, I spent I, I mean, I'm getting emotional now and I, I tend to be someone who is a little bit emotional. But but this is something that. um that it hits home for me and it, and it affected me. And I felt very anxious about it in the time that it looked like it could be a possibility. So I say this just to give maybe some perspective for people who don't understand why this is a problem. And I hope that, that somehow that um, helps that to be understood. And thank you for your strength and courage in enduring that, in persevering through it, um, in sharing that bit of yourself with us. Um, we will take good care of that and of you, um, but your your strength and your will and your spirit show through in that. So thank you. Um, I don't want to add very much to that because that is the story that needs to be told. May I help slightly with some misperceptions I think people have about what the real issue is here? Yeah, I think you should. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm, I'm struggling to put into words what I'm thinking. So I would love for you, you to do that. You just spoke from the outside. You just gave us a lovely, you know, pie for us to, to look at. <laughs> let me let me help with the way people are missing and heading off into fudge and cake land or whatever or missing the, the purpose. Okay. There are a lot of people who will ask, well, did this person pay a legal and financial penalty and didn't that take care of it? Yes, in a way, that did. Accurate, okay? It not. By the way, that's really tricky in cases of abuse, of cases of sexual assault and stuff. That's not always true, but... I don't think anybody's arguing that someone, you know, once they've paid their whatever, the legal issue is done. It is. Also, to me, this is not a character issue. I have actually very little concern, um, relatively, that a any of the coaches that have been named would come in and bring a current character problem, would reoffend or do whatever. I'm a little more sketchy about one of them than the other, but look, that's not the thing, okay? That's not the point, 
even if it never happened again, even if that's a wonderful, good person, and you're telling the truth about that and all their service and all the things they've done, because I hear this story over and over again. This person is a Sunday school teacher or a pastor or whatever, and they're a wonderful person, and that is true, but that doesn't erase the thing. But let's, let's assume the person is a wonderful person and whatever debt is owed legally has been paid. Here's why this still matters. There are certain acts that the person who is on the receiving end of them, the victim for a better word, that becomes part of their identity in a way that doesn't, it gets better, but it doesn't end just because the exactly. crime is done. Right? Yep. Things I put in this category, certainly domestic violence and abuse, certainly sexual assault, but also things like, you know, Racism, racist statements, homophobic statements, stuff that our you know, society kind of uh, amplifies. And it becomes like that crack that's always there that you try to ignore. Oh, I, I know that I'm walking through this store and I know intellectually I'm fine, but I still feel this crack of where the security cameras are or whatever. I'm not trying to own that experience. This is something that's been shared with me by people. I'm not going to disclose more about it, but it's not my experience. I'm not trying to speak for. I'm just saying as an example. You know, when you when you're when you're suspected by society and you feel like you're always suspected, whether or not you're actively being suspected at the moment, okay? It right. becomes part of your identity, right? So things like racism, terrible stuff. If someone has said something like that in the past, even if they've repented of it or whatever, their public presence in front of microphones in a leadership position in public, even if they've personally been quote unquote redeemed. That public position and that public power still causes pain in a way that the person who is victimized cannot turn off or escape. And so I think in that sense, it is permissible to say, and even people who have perpetrated these things, the world would be better if we all, when we did, if we did stuff like this would say, I understand the legal debt is paid. I understand this and I will never, ever do this again. And I pledge to change my character. However, I understand that because this has become public, for some people, this image cannot and will not fade for the people I've hurt. And so I will understand when their needs supersede my own. Because that was the offense to begin with. My needs superseded theirs. I put myself at the center. I harmed them. So in this way, when this is brought up for the rest of my life, part of my redemption and repentance is saying, yep, your needs supersede mine. And you know what? I'm going to miss out on opportunities and that's really going to hurt me and it's going to be inconvenient and terrible and it's going to remind me every time it happens of this horrible thing. But I know that the person I victimized is also reminded every day of this horrible thing. And so my way of repenting and not leaving them alone in that or not not caring about their suffering is to take it when it comes to take that consequence. Now, I'm saying that from the point of the person, the, the amplification for the rest of us is the rest of us who are fans when given a choice, I think need to say, you know what? We love your redemption. We love your coaching. We love your whatever. At the same time, we realize there are people among us who are suffering because of this from racism or from you know domestic violence or whatever. And so for their sakes and because of the the trauma that they endured and how they deal with it every day, we say we do not want to mix this with this position and this, you know, this team. Um, and we hope that you can find a job 
somewhere and do something you love and be productive. Nothing against wanting you ill. Nothing, nothing. We right. want bad for you, but we will choose the people who have been hurt because that's how we keep our community safe and allow them to participate. Yeah, I and I think it's important to say that I am I am very much for redemption. I am very much for um, bettering yourself for, you know, facing the consequences and moving on and becoming a better person. Um, I made some difficult choices in my own life so that that was a possibility for my ex because I hoped for him that he would be better, but it was not going to be at the cost of my safety. And I think that that's the key is yes, redemption is important and finding your way back and doing better is important, but it is not at the cost of, of, of a victim. And I think in this case, um, you know, he, he has a, lot of skill. He can go do a lot of things in a lot of places and, and do them well and, and, and have that redemption while also not being in a public spotlight that forces people who have been victims of this same, you know, of the same thing to have to confront their own trauma night after night after night, or choose to not watch something that they love. I just don't think that that's a lot to ask in this case. Um, right. So I, it, I do think it's important to, to reiterate that, that, that this is not a matter of me saying that, that there should not be redemption. Or that, or that the people are of bad character or that, that the, they should pay forever in all ways, you know, as if this were... Or redemption. that they can't change. Or that they can't change, exactly. But if that change to me, and this is just speaking for me, I'm no longer talking about anybody else, but this is how I think of things. If that change is real, if the, the redemption arc is real then I don't want people to suffer again because of what I did. Right. I don't want to reoffend because yeah. that was the offense in the first place. Again, someone suffered because of what I did and what I chose and the power I had. If I have yeah. been redeemed and, and, and say that's not who I am or want to be, the last thing I would want to do is recreate that. And unfortunately, with these, some of these things, including sexual assault, including domestic violence, that I, that, act the ramifications don't go away and every time that i appear in in this way in a position of power in front of people i am going to bring it up for not just yeah. the person i hurt but for thousands who have experienced yeah. these things and there are thousands so i will say you know what even just one of you in this way is more important than i am let alone thousands of you and i will show that I am a different person by not doing this. I, I want to end this on a high note of saying that I also have been really impressed again, you know, on, on social media, on Twitter, um, at the response that I've seen, I was so proud to watch, um, you know, fan after fan after fan of this team, call this out and say, we're not okay with this. We're not okay with this. We don't want to see this. Um, if, for me struggling through that time, that was really encouraging. It was, it was, it felt good to watch people care about that. And so once again, I mean, just to end this on a high note, because I, I always, I always want to leave things on a positive note if we can. Um, I'm just really grateful. I'm grateful for people who use their platform and use their voices to try to create change. I have no doubt that the loud backlash that was, ha that happened online fed into 
the fact that this is no longer an issue. I think that that had to have something to do with it. I think that the fact that the fans spoke up and said, this isn't what we want had to have an effect. So I just want to say that I appreciate, um, uh, those of you who did that, I appreciate the people who reached out to me personally, um, and said something, you know, there are people, there are really great people in this rip city family. And I just think over and over and over again, I'm impressed by the way that this team has brought so many strangers from different walks of life and different experiences together. Um, so, you know, at the end of the day, it, it, it's nice. It's nice to have that community. So wonderful. Yeah. Well, thank you, Dia. Um, yeah, and, and just one more thing. I will not be here next week. Dave's going to have a guest uh, because I will be in Puerto Rico and we don't know how the internet will be. Um, so I look forward to hearing that podcast, Dave. <laughs> Somebody better bring the rainbows and unicorns. Just saying. <laughs> no, I don't think it's a rainbow and unicorn guest, actually. It's someone we've never talked to before, but we will be delighted to. We'll save the name until next week. It'll be a surprise. But I don't think... Well, rainbows- then, Dave, I... I ex- I expect you to to have some on hold then. Okay, I will bring I will bring my rainbows and my unicorns. Rainbow unicorn, <laughs> rainbowy unicorn, yes, and uh, and make that happen. Uh, for Tia Miller, I'm Dave Decker. Thank you for being with us, and we will see you again next week. A hater sees an opening down the lane, moves towards the hoop, but then Tia comes out of nowhere to swat the shot attempt away, saying, "Get that weak stuff out of here." Dave scoops up the loose ball. Now it's a fast break the other way with Dia. She's flying down the court. Dave sends her an alley-oop. She jams it. Boom, shakalaka. The crowd is on its feet saluting Dia. I tell you, if she isn't the rookie of the year, they really ought to just stop giving the award. What a talent.